Why do wicked men and women so often flourish and everything they seem to do prospers? Well, we'll find out the answer to that question and so many more today on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz, and our journey through Psalms 36 begins in just a minute. So quickly, find your seat on the Bible bus, and let's welcome Through the Bible's President Greg Harris, who has some letters answering one of my favorite questions. Yes, and if I may jump on that uh, that train, I, it's one of my favorite questions, too, which is to say to our listening family here and around the world, what are you learning on the Bible bus? Yep. I'm always blessed when people tell me what they're learning on the Bible bus. Yeah. And we know that you, you, you probably appreciate Dr. McGee and you like the program and all of that. And that's yeah. wonderful to hear that. But we really want the backstory. What has God been teaching you yes. through your personal interaction with the word? That's yes. what we want to hear about. Now, one of the things I'm going to brag for a minute about what God has done here. We have such an awesome team here at Through the Bible and our communications team has done something really special, which is we're studying the Psalms this month. Mm -hmm. They have actually gotten letters that all reflect what our TTB family says they've been learning from the book of Psalms. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's very cool. This first letter is from Valerie and Mark Lewicki from Washington. We've been meaning to write for a while, so this morning after sending a little gas money, I figured it was time. I found you one day when I was searching for a podcast to listen to while walking at lunch at my job. I needed something to help me reset and face the second half of my day at work with optimism. Like many others, I wasn't sure what to think of Dr. McGee when I first listened, but I kept returning to it, and over the years, I look forward to my time listening to God's Word. And then Valerie continues. Why don't you read her section? She says, eventually I told my husband about the program and we began trying to spend some time each morning before work with a cup of coffee riding the Bible bus. We are now retired and on our second time through the five year study. It has become a habit to start the morning with a cup of coffee wherever we happen to be. It helps us set the tone for the day with God as the focus. Even on vacations, when we travel with family and friends, They oftentimes join us. We read daily the World Prayer email and look up where they live if we don't know the country before praying for them. It helps us discover the world. One time we heard our nine-year-old niece humming the intro song, How Firm a Foundation, while coloring. And she concludes the letter this way. Sometimes during the night when doubts and anxiety creep in, preventing sleep, I turn on the solar Bible bus and listen My favorite is the study on the Psalms. It allows me to try to focus on what I'm learning in the Bible, and I find that eventually my thoughts are redirected to the Lord Jesus, and it crowds out the worries. Valerie, thanks so much for that encouraging letter. We really do appreciate it. Here's another one. This is from Godfrey in a place we've been to, Uganda. Yes. Here's what he says. I was a sinner, and I listened to this program once. I lived in sin. But when I heard the psalm which says, Blessed is the man who does not sit in the counsel of the wicked, my life changed completely. I listened for the rest of psalms and have not stopped. Wow. And a perfect example of, yes, Dr. McGee, is his teaching is great, but the the power is the word of God that penetrated his heart. Now, let's stay in Africa and move up to the the west, uh, to the Ivory Coast. Psalms 27 and 28 really stuck with me from the study. I understood that psalms are prayers broadcast to God. Psalm 27 teaches us to put all our trust in God. 
God is the one who saves us from all kinds of difficult situations. The difficulties we encounter are like lions before us. Hmm. It is also, for me, a kind of advice of something that should be imitated. From now on, I will keep my eyes on God during the good days and the bad. Wow. Again, such an encouragement. I think yeah. First Peter five that that the devil yeah, prowls around absolutely. like a roaring lion seeking yeah. someone to devour, and that's that's his reference there. Here's another one. I think we got enough time. Yes. This is Arnell who joins us in Tagalog. I am a listener every night. My name is Arnell. The explanation and the details of the Psalms are delivered clearly. Please send me a Bible. I wish to read the Psalms to my children each night. And and that's just a, a tiny insight into the. What I believe are the thousands of untold stories uh, of what God is doing through this ministry of through the Bible. Yeah, Very absolutely. Exciting. Greg, why don't you pray for us as we begin our study? Father, we're really humbled uh, just that we get to play a small part in in delivering the bread of life to people all over the world and then watching you feed them with your word. So we we just want to thank you for that. We want to ask you to keep us faithful Keep us focused and uh, on track so that we can, by your grace, give the whole word to the whole world. We pray for our time in this study now that you'd bless us and open our eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's turn to Psalm 36 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now today, as we come to this 36th Psalm, and I find now that I'm going to have to increase the tempo here, our We'll be here not only through the summer, but through the winter. And I can't think of a better place to be than in the Psalms. But after all, this Bible bus must continue rolling. And in Psalm 36 here, we have actually a picture of the wicked. And David is the author of this psalm. And he begins it with the transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. Now, the Septuagint translation of this, which is the Greek translation made by the Seventy in Egypt, changes that somewhat, and I'm not sure, but what they probably were closer to the original than our translation, and it reads, The wicked hath an oracle of transgression in his heart. Now, what is that oracle of transgression that's in the heart? It's that old nature that you and I have, the Adamic nature. And the Lord Jesus said, you remember in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. And this is a pretty ugly brood that come out of the human heart. There's no fear of God before his eyes. Now, that's quoted by Paul in Romans 3.18. And here is a revelation of the wicked. For you see that out of the heart come these things, and it is, as it were, in the translation we've given, the wicked hath an oracle of transgression in his heart, that old evil nature that we have. And that's the answer, I think, to those who say the conscience should be your guide. Well, the conscience is not your guide. The Holy Spirit is your guide. But your conscience will be a thermometer or a barometer to let you know after you've done a thing whether you should have or not. But the Spirit of God should be your guide. 
and the conscience is that which will prick you after you've done it. And so there is that old nature that's within us, and there's no fear of God before the eyes of the wicked. They make brave statements today. Now, the next verse indicates that he flattereth himself in his own eyes. And Matthew Henry, in his commentary, has a very interesting statement in this connection. He says, sinners are self-destroyed. They are self-destroyers by being self-flatterers. Satan could not deceive them if they did not deceive themselves. But will the cheat last always? No, the day is coming when the sinner will be undeceived when his iniquity shall be found hateful. I think that one of the things that the lost will have to live with throughout eternity is an old nature that he's going to learn to hate. That will be the thing that will make his own little hell on the inside of his skin, by the way. Now, I proceed on here. It says, "...the words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit." I met a man on the golf course, fine-looking man, retired, had had a fine position. But all that his mouth could say was just iniquity. Every breath he uttered was to take God's name in vain. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath ceased to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Actually, in his bed he plans to do evil the next day. What a picture that we have here. And it's a frightful picture, by the way. Now, when we come here to verse 5, we have a picture of God and what God is. And listen to this. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, Thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of man put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. Now, these are blessed, wonderful words. And this is the God that man rejects. This is the God that man has no fear of. And the wicked do not know this God and they do not know what it is to be under the shadow of his wings. And that's the place where the righteous find refuge. I'd like to talk about the wings of Jehovah, but we did that back in the 19th of Exodus when God told Israel, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, we find under his wings there's protection, there's security and rest, and also the warmth of his love. The Lord Jesus, you'll recall, he said to Jerusalem, he said, how many times I would have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her little ones under her wings, and you would not. And this is the God that many are rejecting today. Now, it concludes with this word, verse 11 and 12, "...let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. There are the workers of iniquity fallen, they are cast down, and they shall not 
be able to rise. What a picture this is. It's a prayer now. And here in this section, he prays that God will continue his mercy and his grace to him, and he'll not fall under the wicked. I think that's something every believer today, you and I are in a wicked, mean world. And my prayer always is, oh, God, don't let me fall in the hands of the wicked. Now we have in Psalm 37 that we come to now another psalm of David, and it's what is known as an acrostic psalm. That means it's alphabetical in the Hebrew, which would be each verse would begin or a section would begin with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And you'll notice here that this psalm has about 40 verses, which would mean about two verses would take in each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, beginning with Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Daleth, and so on, all the way through. We have that today. That's the way we instruct little folk. I remember when I was a little fella, I can still remember the book I got. A is for apple, B is for baby, C is for cat. And there's a picture of each one of them there. My, that was the way we started off. You have that in this psalm here. And this has been a psalm that's been a great blessing to God's people down through the years. And so often, though, misapplied. Now, will you notice? Here he says, "...fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither like the green herb." Now, this was something that troubled David apparently a great deal. And we'll find later on that another one of the writers in Scripture, in fact, if you go over to the 73rd Psalm, you will find that Asaph, he faced this perplexing problem, by the way. Now, the reason that you find that here, and especially in the Old Testament, is that God promised the believers in the Old Testament, he promised them earthly and material prosperity. He has not promised that to believers today. Our hope is not on the earth. The hope of Israel was upon this earth. And therefore, when the man of that day looked about him and he saw the ungodly prospering, the fact of the matter is, here was an ungodly man and his fields were producing and the rain came down upon his crops And then down the road a little ways, some poor righteous fellow was having a hard time. And it was difficult in that day for the godly man to understand it. And David had that. David came to the same conclusion as Asaph did. If you go over to Psalm 73, which we'll not do at this time, Asaph said that at the end he saw what would happen and that the wicked were going to be cut down, as we're told here, just like the grass. And you remember a few years ago, and I remember I had people in the congregation, why would God permit Hitler to do what he's doing? Why, he almost won World War II. And why would God permit a man like Mussolini? And by the way, where are they today? You just give God time. He'll deal with them. And it's the end of the wicked that you need to consider. So now he says what we are to do if you look about you today. And this is a problem that disturbs you. There's several things if you'll do, it'll solve your problem. First, verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. 
so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Now, this was a promise to God's earthly people. God says to them, you don't worry about the wicked. You trust in the Lord, and he's going to take care of you. Then verse 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And friends, that was for the man in that day, and it's for us today. But I don't know that he's going to give you an apple a, a day. or I'm not sure that he's going to bless you in your business. But I say this, he's already blessed you with all spiritual blessings, and he'll just shower on you all the spiritual blessings that you can contain. And what are we to do then? Delight thyself in the Lord. That's what we're to do. And then verse 5 Another thing we're to do, commit thy way unto the Lord. And a great many Christians that are criticizing today, finding fault with God. And friends, they haven't committed their way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. He shall bring it to pass. Give God time. He'll work it out in your life. God's good, friends. You know, the idea of the heathen is that God's terrible. They're idols. Look at them. Oh, they're hideous. And there are a great many people today and professing Christian that don't think God's very good. They think he's sort of a villain. <laughs> he may turn on you at any moment. He never will. He's your friend. He loves you. He wants to save you. But you've got to commit your way to him, you see. Now, that's not all. In verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Just rest in the Lord. How wonderful it is to rest in him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Don't let him disturb you at all. And then he says, don't get uptight. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Don't lose your temper. Don't be upset. Don't be under tension. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any way to do evil. Don't think that you can get by with it, friends. If you're his child... You're really in trouble if you try to get by. For listen to him, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. God's going to see to that. And then verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the earth. That's what God has said. Now, God's going to put a people on this earth someday. I heard of a preacher the other day made the statement, God's going to save so many people that there wouldn't be room enough for them on this earth, so he had to have heaven to take care of the overflow. I guess that's what he meant. I don't think he used the term overflow. Well, I want to tell you, heaven is not for the overflow. That's for the church. And there will be an earthly people down here. That is to hopelessly confuse the purposes of God, my friend. Now, will you notice here, the wicked have drawn out the sword. Scripture makes it clear, if you take the sword, you're going to perish that way. Now, verse 16, "...a little that a righteous man hath is better..." than the riches of many wicked. I have, in the course of my ministry and traveling around, I've been in the homes of very poor saints and also in very rich saints. And my experience has been that the happiest saints are those that don't have so much. God seems to see to that. And verse 20, "...but the wicked shall perish." And you let God handle that department. He's working on that and he'll take care of it. And verse 23, he says, "...the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord." That is established by the Lord. "...on a foundation that we've seen is the rock, and that rock is Christ. And he delighteth in his way." 
Does God delight in you today? He could point to Job, and, and Job wasn't perfect by any means as we saw when we were there. But God took a delight in him. Now, verse 29, again listen to him. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. Now, God is making good his promise to Abraham and to the children of Israel. He promised them earthly blessings. He did not promise that to you and me. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings. And you're going to get all confused if you try to say God has promised you that. Many Christians are being blessed with material things. May I say to you, that's surplus that you get. <laughs> that's an added blessing. And if God has blessed you that way, you have a tremendous responsibility. I feel sorry for some of the rich saints because they're not using the money as they should be using it for God today. Now, verse 37 and 38, Mark the perfect man. That is, perfect toward God in that he's trusted God and rested upon God's salvation. And behold the upright for the end of that man's peace. God will see to that. Verse 38, But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. You mark that down. That's as true as the law of gravitation. And God's going to take care of that department. Now we have in Psalm 38 a so-called penitential psalm. That's what it's called, this 38th psalm. Here we find David in deep distress, and his body is wasting away. We have no record of him having this illness. We've seen before that he thanked God for his healing. And here we have... He said, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Now, verse 4, he says, For mine iniquities are gone over mine head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. And you and I can't bear our burdens, friend, not the burden of sin. Now he says, My wounds are repulsive and corrupt because of my foolishness. I'm troubled. I'm bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease. There's no soundness in my flesh. I had a doctor in the first church I served call me into his office one day, showed me this psalm. He says, you know, there are many people believe that David had a venereal disease. He said, I don't. But he said, I was told that in medical school. And he asked me what I thought. Well, I don't think he did. And I think that the Lord Jesus did not have all the diseases. There are those today that take the position that the Lord Jesus Christ, in bearing our sin, also he was diseased. And I want to say to you, that is so untrue. In his birth, it was that holy thing that shall be conceived. And God said of his earthly life, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And when he came to the end of his life, he says, Which of you convicteth me of sin? And he was said to be holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. And he was holy when he went to that cross. And in those first three hours, man did his words. But God, in the last three hours, did his best for Christ, took upon himself the sin of the world. Now, we need to be very careful here. It was the sin of the world that he took. And when it says he bore our diseases, it's the disease of sin. And you want to know the answer to that? Listen to Simon Peter. And I think he knew what he was talking about when he says in 1 Peter 2, 24, "...who his own self 
bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. What, of disease? No, of sin. He bore our sins, and he did not have a diseased body, because disease is the result of sin. And my friend, there was no sin within him. He was a sacrifice that was perfect that went to the cross. It's an awful thing to say Jesus Christ had every disease on the cross. It's a frightful thing to make that statement, by the way. All right, our time is up today, and we're going to move on, actually, to the next psalm, for we've got to gain a little momentum now. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. We're really moving through these studies in Psalms. So next time, the Bible bus is going to take us through Psalms 39 through 41. So hop aboard, and as always, why don't you invite a friend to join us? And until then, if you need to reach us, you can visit ttb.org. You can call 1-800-65-BIBLE. Again, that's ttb.org or 1-800-65-BIBLE. I'm Steve Schwetz. So grateful for your company today and every day as we make our way through the Bible. Today's study is always available, free to stream or download, thanks to the generous and faithful investments from your fellow Bible bus travelers. Just go to ttb.org or download our app to listen again anytime. As always, we'd love to know what's God teaching you.